you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Welcome. I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith. And thanks for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio on Voice America Variety. And a warm hello to the folks from Project Freedom Radio Network. All the archives of the show are available 24-7 through Voice America Variety in iTunes and at ComeBackToYourSenses.com. You can connect with me on Facebook at Come Back to Your Senses Radio or Leah Brenda Smith. And today... We're talking about animal medicine. We're going to talk to the animals and listen for their innate wisdom. We all have an intimate connection with the animal kingdom, even though we may not always recognize it. Now, whether you live in an urban, suburban, or rural area, you're bound to see at least a few animals throughout the day. You may not even notice their presence, but they are there. And it's amazing how animals permeate our consciousness and are with us all the time. You can bring animal medicine into your life to help with both your emotional and physical healing. Animals are indeed wondrous, happy creatures. And there is no doubt that animals have beautiful, balanced emotions. They love and defend one another. They feel sorrow and melancholy. And yet, there has never been a war between the animal species. They don't know about greed and envy and hate. It seems that really they live their lives without sin. Animals have many amazing powers, and they use those powers only to benefit their kind and not to overcome their opponents. There is a reason why we share the earth with the animals. Part of that reason is to learn from one another. Animals are here to teach humans. They have many powerful lessons to give us, and they remind us that we are only a small part of creation and that each part of creation has a place and that each creature has its own skill and its own wisdom. Since the beginning of mankind, people have believed in the extraordinary powers of animals. This belief originates in animism, the idea that animals possess souls and consciousness. Early people around the world honored animals for having a spiritual life similar to their own and recognized that the spirit of the animal existed even after death. Early mankind also recognized their dependency upon the animals and respected the animal's superior strength, speed, 
and other qualities. Some cultures held the animal sacred because it was such an important part of their lives. Various types of animals, especially the snakes and birds, were held in great esteem by early peoples around the world, and many cultures adopted prayers, rituals, and built temples in which to worship them. The ancient Egyptians, Greeks, Hindus, Buddhists, Aztecs, and other cultures honored and worshipped various animals, birds, and reptiles. There is an important distinction between these cultures and North American Indians. Most North American Indians were careful not to worship any part of creation, but held the whole of creation sacred. They did not construct idols or temples to worship animals, birds, or reptiles, but they made totems, art, and other works as a way of honoring their animal kin. Connecting with animal guides will help you to be healthier physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You will be able to see the world and all things in it with more clarity and more understanding. Symbolic of the four sacred directions, the four seasons, and the four colors of man, there there are four basic types of animal medicine guides. Whether an animal spirit comes in your dreams, signs and symbolic events, or actually events of daily life, the animal guide will fit into one of these four categories. So here are the categories. A messenger guide who quickly comes into your life and then leaves. A shadow guide who fills you with fear to teach a lesson that you have not learned because of anger, greed, insecurity, or some other type of negative thinking. A journey guide who appears when a decision is made to follow a certain path. The journey guide is there to serve you along the way. The journey may take months or years to complete, but that journey guide will stay with you throughout the entire process. And the last category is a life animal guide, which is also sometimes referred to as a spirit guide, who will remain a part of you throughout your life and is there to help reflect your inner spiritual self. Sometimes people have additional animal guides come along during unexpected times, so you may have more than one life animal guide throughout your lifetime.
the meaning and the lessons an animal guide brings will differ according to the type of guide it is. Learning to differentiate between the four types of animal guides can assist you in knowing how to react and the actions that you will likely take when an animal medicine guide makes itself known to you. But regardless of which type of guide it is, all of the animal medicine guides are powerful and are there to help you. They come through an energy of grace to guide you. The animal spirit guides are spiritual beings that can help us in life in a positive way. You can call on them for guidance, protection, for healing, and also for inspiration. You may see them, hear them, feel them, or just know that they're with you. And you can have any number of spirit guides throughout your life, whether you're aware of them or not. Their intention is always to help, to help you to have a more peaceful, harmonious, and happier life. They're happy to serve and willingly do so whenever they're called. Now, some people think that the knowledge of the natural power of animal guides has been lost, and this is just not so. Many people think that animals are not spiritual, or that they have no spirit or soul. And mm, many people think that animals are less intelligent than humans. They think that animals are savage and without society or conscience, and this is just not the case. It is also thought that man once spoke with the animals, yet man lost this ability and other powers when he placed himself inauthentically above the animals as master of the earth having dominion over all things. And with that act of inauthentic power seem to have lost the ability to communicate with the animals and other innate powers that man once possessed. Now, the intellect of animals is different from that of humans. Animals are taught differently and speak in different ways. When intelligence is measured in human terms, well, the animals don't fare very well. But imagine if the tests were reversed. Humans would certainly fail to measure up to animal standards. Here's some examples. Animals know the time and place to migrate. But humans cannot find their way often without a compass or the stars or a GPS. Animals live well without the need of tools or weapons, and humans clearly do not. Animals are happy and contented in their environment. Humans, not always. Animals live among, 
their families all of their lives, and clearly humans do not. Animals have found the right way to live within their limitations and skills, without meanness or strife, and this is very challenging for some humans. Clearly, there is a lot that we can learn by watching the way that the animals live and watching how they interact with their own kind and even the way that they interact with humankind. Native American rituals and practices are rooted in connection with all aspects of life and what they refer to as the Great Spirit. Therefore, the Native American practice of animal medicine embraces an awareness that reveals itself when a certain animal crosses your path. The word medicine in Native American practice and in the custom of animal medicine refers to the healing aspects that a particular animal can bring to your consciousness. This would really mean anything that supports you, strengthens you, something that is restorative, empowering, and even revives your spiritual body as well as your physical body. When we become aware of what a certain animal represents, then we can take the necessary steps to create changes in our life according to that awareness. Animals do not always communicate between themselves and other species through sound. Animals also communicate by touch, smell, and body movement, as well as sound. Humans are certainly capable of communicating through these other modalities, and some people have developed these abilities, and in turn are able to communicate with animals without the use of human speech. There are two other forms of animal communication. The first is psychic or mental telepathy, and the second is through the spirit. American Indians use these two methods and other more physical forms of communication to talk with animal guides and commune with the medicine that the animal has to offer. Animals have an instinctual awareness of human personality and moods. It's often said that animals can smell human fear. Yet this notion has never been scientifically proven. However, anyone who has ever worked with animals knows that animals can perceive the single emotion of fear and can also discern a broad spectrum of human emotions and personalities. Animals possess a form of ancient mental telepathy or method of thought transference, not understood by most modern humans. Animals can communicate with humans by receiving mental messages, and they carry this ability with them into spirit when they die.
clearly animals have a different consciousness and perceive things differently than we do as human beings. And some would suggest that it's important to not assign human form or attributes to a being that is not human. Clearly animals are sentient beings with a different consciousness from humans. Their ability to love and accept humans unconditionally as well as their unbending loyalty ranks them very high on the list of excellent companions. There are many variations of animal cards, animal medicine cards that have been developed over the years and used as as a kind of divination tool that can help us to receive guidance from the animal kingdom. And there's lots of different types of these cards. You could just check it out on the Internet if you're interested. I thought here I'd just give you just a brief list of some examples of animal medicine that the Native Americans have shared with us. And I'm just going to list a few of the animals and just a um, very brief comment uh, about the energy of each of these that I've listed. But if you were to follow up on this and were interested in getting more involved with the animal medicine cards, um, you would see that part of that divination system is quite a bit of information about the animals what they can help you with, and some suggestions of what it is that they might be pointing you in the direction of bringing into balance for yourself or moving forward with. So here I just have a a, a small handful of examples. Butterfly medicine is about self-transformation, balance, and grace. Crow medicine represents sacred law, the gateway to the supernatural, shape-shifting, and illusion. Dear medicine is gentleness, compassion, and kindness. Dolphin medicine represents life force, rhythm, and breath. Eagle medicine is the spiritual connection to the higher realms and courage. Fox medicine is camouflage, adaptability, and integration. Hawk represents strength, foresight, and truth. Horse medicine is physical and spiritual power and the carrier of burdens. And hummingbird medicine is pure love and joy, and also represents the celebration of life. Now we're going to shift our focus and recount some of the other ways that animals help humans. Guide dogs assist blind and visually impaired people by avoiding obstacles, stopping at curbs and steps, and helping to negotiate in the traffic. The harness and U-shaped handle fosters the communication between the dog and the blind person. And in this partnership, the human's role is to provide directional commands, 
Well, the dog's role is to ensure that the team is safe. Even if this requires occasionally disobeying an unsafe command from the human. Often you see Labradors and Golden Retrievers and German Shepherds as the dogs that are used, or other large breeds. They're carefully bred and socialized, and they're raised for over a year by volunteers. And then the guide dog goes through extensive training. It takes between two and five years for a guide guide dog to be ready to be matched with a disabled person. And training includes basic obedience and service dog training. Providing protection and companionship are all these other ways that these dogs help blind people. But you know, blind people, they need to be trained too. And it surprises many of them they have to learn how to walk again. Oftentimes, blind people shuffle along and they don't move at the same speed that a dog can comfortably walk. So blind people sometimes don't walk enough to keep their dog happy and healthy initially. And so they must attend a training school. And the people also have to pass a competency test, not just the dogs. And fortunately, despite the regulations and the rules that deny access of animals to, you know, restaurants and other public places, in many countries, guide dogs and other types of assisting dogs are protected by law. And that's why they can accompany their handlers most places that are open to the public. There are also autism service dogs, and they're trained to help and handle process and to handle and process sensory information for their autistic companion. Many autistic service dogs are trained in work obstacle avoidance to help the handler with visual stimuli. Dog breeds recommended for those on the autism spectrum include Newfoundland, Bloodhound, Border Collie, Yellow Lab, Golden Retriever, or other breeds that are known to be of very high intelligence. As with the hearing-assisted dogs for the deaf, the dogs may also be trained to alert their handler to important noises or other things requiring human intervention, such as a smoke alarm, a crying baby, a telephone ringing, or a knock at the door. For a person with autism, it may not be immediately obvious which of these many external stimuli is the urgent one requiring their immediate attention. A person with autism may have to sort through both major and minor stimuli, the sound of the crickets, the smell of the fabric softener on their clothes, a car driving past outside, in order to determine now which one of these, if any of these, really needs their attention. They may understand that a smoke alarm is urgent and requires them to exit the building, but it just may take them a little more time. Service dogs also assist people with disabilities other than vision or hearing impairment. With special training, these dogs can help mitigate many of the different types of disabilities. They can be trained to work with people who use power or manual wheelchairs, have balance issues, need seizure alert or response, need to be alerted 
about other medical issues like low blood sugar or perhaps even people with psychiatric disabilities. These specially trained dogs can help by retrieving objects that are out of their person's reach, by pulling wheelchairs, opening and closing doors, turning light switches on and off, barking to indicate that help is needed, finding another person and leading the person to the handler, assisting ambulatory patients to walk by providing balance and counterbalance, and providing deep pressure, and many other individual tasks as needed by a person with a disability. Oftentimes, service dogs are either rescued from animal shelters or bred in selective breeding programs and raised by volunteers before their formal training. Most service dogs are golden retrievers or labradors, and service dogs can usually be identified either by a backpack or a harness. And then there's the therapy dogs. And the therapy dogs are used for the benefit of both physically and emotionally of people in hospitals. Seniors, residents, nursing homes, daycare centers, special needs schools, psychiatric hospitals, and many other places where people may be restricted from having pets. The medical profession has widely acknowledged that stroking and petting animals can have a calming effect. It can lower blood pressure and relieve tension. Now, just about any dog of sound temperament can become a therapy dog. However, certain capabilities must be demonstrated, such as accepting a friendly stranger, staying calm, sitting on command, and reacting well to other dogs and distractions. So another way that animals are used to help assist people is in the equine-assisted activities. And this is a program where a certified or specially trained riding instructor teaches a person with a disability how to ride a horse. And working with the horses can provide more than just riding skills. The participants can also learn about companionship, responsibility, confidence, leadership, vocational and educational skills, and may offer competitive venues in various riding disciplines. Riding a horse can provide a unique recreational or leisure activity, and there are many sports which the disabled can participate in to enhance their lives and attain social and physical fitness, such as the Special Olympic programs for people with cognitive disability. And there are hundreds of programs and many organizations around the world that are dedicated to horseback riding or horse care for people with cognitive or other disabilities. A student who interacts with his or her horse may extend this interaction to others and form meaningful relationships with people. 
Building a relationship with an animal is very rewarding in many respects for a person with an emotional, social, or psychological disability. The trust and the loyalty of an animal demonstrates to the student how important he or she is. And they may then apply this newly acquired self-esteem to personal relationships. A horse can also help a person feel in control of his or her situation. And in dealing with horses, there's a direct relationship between action and reaction. To learn how to care for and ride a horse, a student must also be able to communicate effectively with both the horse and the instructor. Now, riding a horse is a unique experience. It can help empower a person, enabling them to connect with others on a personal level. The sometimes unpredictable nature of animals and situations also creates a real-life environment where the student can confront his or her fears and adjust to situations beyond their control. Children with disabilities love having a quiet, peaceful environment, as do horses. So in that way, they're really able to teach each other many things. The therapeutic horseback riding has also been used to help people with autism. And this activity is said to benefit the communication, the motor skills, and the social skills of an autistic person. It also causes improvement in responses to verbal and external stimuli and relaxation. People with autism, they can't ignore one sense and let another take over the way most people can. Instead, they see, smell, hear, taste, and feel, and think, all at the same time, which often gives them a kind of sensory overload that they can't handle. But riding a horse can help them concentrate on just one task, just the task that they're doing, rather than focusing on everything all at once. People might wonder if it's safe for someone with poor motor and communication skills to ride a horse. Now, while there are always some risks involved, every precaution is taken. There are sidewalkers who help to stabilize the person, and the horse is matched to the rider's ability. Families using the service say that the benefits of therapeutic riding by far outweigh the risks. You know, these horse-riding-assisted activities work almost like a reward system. When a child with poor communication skills wants the horse to walk, they have to use a verbal command to move the horse forward, which gives them incentive to give that command. They'll naturally begin to build a bond with the horse and also with the handler of the horse. And although the horses are led during the therapy lessons... The person riding the horse learns to pull the reins and to move the horse in one direction or another. They also use games while they're on the horse to improve motor skills. This could be like reaching down to grab something or giving the handler a high five.
individuals with autism can learn to interact with the horse's handlers to convey to them what they want the horse to do. And if they want the horse to walk, then they have to learn from the handler how to ask the horse to do that. Riding also helps them to focus on something other than themselves, which can be difficult for people with autism. So we've talked about animal medicine and the native traditions and the opportunity to welcome spirit animal spirit guides into your lives. And then we've just talked about different ways that animals are being of service to individuals, certainly a heavy focus on people with some type of disability, be it a developmental one or blindness, deafness, and even the opportunity for service dogs to help people that are in nursing homes and as companions and as visiting pets, also in psychiatric situations. So now we're going to shift our focus again and talk about some different types of therapeutic interventions for the animals themselves. And there is a program called Healing Touch for Animals, and it uses energy medicine therapies that are recognized by National Institutes of Health to integrate, balance, and clear the energy body. The Healing Touch for Animals, it works by releasing endorphins to establish a deeper relaxation and state of being, allowing the body to function at a greater level and allowing the muscles to relax, which increases the circulation. It sends more oxygen, nutrients, and hormones into the body to support healing. And healing touch for animals, this technique works on every level of the body, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the instinctual level. These techniques allow the animals to come into a deeper instinctual presence and knowing of their body. The benefits of healing touch for animals, it can help animals to understand appropriate behavior, builds the animal-human bond, reduces stress and anxiety, supports animals while they're recovering from injuries, illness, and physical and emotional trauma, abuse, and even grief, and energetically supports animals through the end-of-life transition. The energy-based modality of healing touch has been recognized throughout the human medical community since 1989, and it's been used by more than 75,000 healthcare practitioners worldwide to help provide whole body wellness. These techniques are designed to enhance the healing process and do not replace traditional medical or veterinary health care, medical diagnosis, or medical treatment for illness. So as with people, these techniques for animals are meant to complement traditional health care. They can bring about pain relief, stress reduction, accelerate wound healing, and improve the immune system function. And most importantly, they can help to deepen the bond between people and their animal companions. So that's healing touch for animals. And 
There's another technique that's called the Tellington touch, which is a specialized approach to, it's for the care and training of animal companions. And it was developed and is internationally recognized by an animal expert, Linda Tellington Jones. And this method is really based on cooperation and respect. It offers a positive approach to training, and it can improve performance, health, and it presents solutions to common behavioral and physical problems. It also helps establish a deeper rapport between humans and animals through increased understanding and more effective communication. The Tellington Touch is its a method that's based on circular movements of the fingers and hands all over the body of the animal. The intent is to activate the function of the cells and awaken cellular intelligence, kind of like turning on the electrical lights in the body. The Tellington Touch is done on the entire body, and each circular T-touch, as they refer to it, is complete within itself. Therefore, it's not necessary for you to understand the anatomy or how the body functions in order to be successful in speeding up the healing of injuries or ailments or, you know, changing those undesirable habits or behaviors that sometimes um, animals display. So using a combination of specific touches, lifts, and movement exercises, telling can touch helps to release tension and increase body awareness. This allows the animal to be handled without provoking typical fear responses. The animal can then be moved easily and learn new and more appropriate behaviors. By using the Tellington Touch and other tools that they've created, like the Confidence Course, you can assist the animal to experience self-confidence in previously frightening situations. Even the most difficult problems are often eliminated. You can also learn how to apply the Tellington Touch to assist with recovery from illness or injury, or just enhance the quality of your animal's life. So here's a list of things that the Tellington Touch has helped animals with. Excessive barking and chewing, leash pulling, jumping up, aggressive behavior, extreme fear and shyness, resistance to grooming, excitability and nervousness, car sickness, uh, fear of thunder or fireworks, which often happens in the summer, and problems associated with aging. Tellington Touch can help you understand and influence your animal with your heart, and with your hands in a way that develops trust, creates a harmonious relationship, and can change unwanted behavior. A few examples from pet owners that have used the Tellington Touch. Our dog became suddenly ill, and the vet found nothing, but he continued to throw up. I decided I had nothing to lose. So I started Tellington Touch for my dog, Ike. And later my husband joined me, and we did it together, and a shift happened. Ike 
relaxed, and the discomfort passed. Our first experience with Chellington Touch was very unifying. Here's another example. My cockatoo bird, Noah, is a totally changed bird as a result of daily touch work from the Tellington Touch training. He isn't bald anymore and not hyper or neurotic. And then a third example. To build confidence for performance, I used the Tellington Touch methods on my Russian wolfhound who was who had been refused from two agility classes due to her insecurities. Now she confidently shows obedience and is much more outgoing. I can relax her quickly using these circles from this method. And now we'll switch gears again. And this is uh, information comes from an article. Um, it, it's called "Is Your Pet in Pain?" and it's on the website. My uh, sister actually owns some pet food, pet supply stores in uh, Victoria, BC, and um, the website is www.petslife.ca. And uh, this uh, information came from uh, an article that's posted there about "Is Your Pet in Pain?" and certainly. You know, as pet owners, it's your job to understand how your pet communicates and to know when they're in pain and what you can do to bring relief. Animals have a unique way of telling us when something is wrong, and you really need to watch for the signs. Sometimes the pain's obvious, like when they hold up a sore leg. Other times it's not so clear. Cats tend to be inclined to hide their pain so that they don't seem weak or vulnerable. And often dogs will try and hide their pain as well. But it's important for you to watch for subtle changes in behavior and appearance that might indicate that your pet is in pain. So be alert, because quick action and treatment is always the best chance that your pet has to heal and resume their normal happy life. So below is a really, it's a comprehensive list of the signs that your pet may be in pain. But not any one of these signs alone is evidence that there's a problem. But if you have a combination of quite a few of these symptoms, then it's a pretty good indication that there's something wrong or something out of balance. But you're the person that knows your pet the best. So therefore, you're in the best position to know when your pet might be in pain. So here's the list of things to watch for. Vocalization. This could be grunting or groaning, whining or crying, howling or whimpering, yelping or growling when touched, or lack of vocalization when your animal is hurting, when they would normally be vocal. Then hiding, mostly in cats, as I mentioned. They withdraw from social interactions, and they don't come out even to eat. Also watch for posture changes, shifting positions, more frequently than normal, hunched over, sitting or lying in an abnormal position, preferring lying to sitting or standing. The next is abnormal movement. This could be difficulty getting up from lying or sitting, lagging behind or tiring on walks, limping, or not putting weight on a limb, 
a reluctance to go for walks or climb stairs or jump up, or even a reluctance to move at all, or even repeatedly getting up and lying down and getting up and lying down. Another thing to watch for is breathing, panting excessively, especially when resting. Other indications of pain are changes in behavior that are out of character, like aggressiveness or growling, hissing, biting, especially when touched. Or an unusual lack of responsiveness to situations such as playing with a ball or going for a walk. They may even avoid being held or picked up. Or they may be seeking more affection than normal. Changes in bladder or bowel habits. Excessive sleeping. Restlessness. Shivering or even trembling. An appetite change. Most likely a decrease in appetite could also be indicative of pain. And they're grooming. Check their coat if it's lacking its normal shine or it's unkept in appearance. If they're licking or biting or scratching a particular part of their body. And then also their expression. Staring vacantly. Grimacing. Glazed or wide-eyed. Flattened ears. Enlarged pupils. Or maybe they're excessively grooming themselves. It's good to remember that the most important thing to notice is when your pet's not acting normally. Usually your pet is quite predictable. So when they look or behave unusual, that might in itself be a good indication that they may be in pain. And if you're wondering what to do, it might be tempting to give them ibuprofen or acetaminophen or aspirin. But that could really cause unforeseen side effects. So the best approach is to take your dog or your cat to the vet to determine, let the vet do the tests and determine the diagnosis, and then together you can discuss the best treatment plan. So those are some signs from that great article from petslife.ca, a great article, and there are other articles there for pet owners. And um, those are really indications of whether or not your pet might be in pain. And then the last thing we're going to talk about today, I had uh, promised you a head-to-toe checklist for your pet. And this information is from the Walks and Wags. It's a first aid class for pets. And uh, if you're interested in taking a course like this, there's classes all across the country. You could just go to www.walksand, which is an N, walksandwags.com. And again, um, if you're on the West Coast, uh, my sister Eileen teaches the first aid program and you can find her at uh, www.apetslife.ca. So we're going to talk about the head-to-toe checklist for your pet. And these are things to look for when you're doing the head-to-toe checklist. And if you have the knowledge, you can also include vital signs such as checking the heart rate and the temperature and the respirations. So you want to check the eyes. So we're doing head-to-toe check. Check the eyes for squinting, weeping, discharge, rubbing, redness, or any visible lacerations. The nose, you look for discharge, whether it's red or green, sneezing, crusty, 
pawing or rubbing at the nose. With the whiskers and the mouth and the throat, look if it's singed or the skin is broken, if there's drooling, blood, check the gum color, panting, swelling, and if there are any lumps or bumps on the whiskers, mouth, or the throat. On the ears, are they smelly, red, dirty, is there discharge? Do they shake their heads a lot, or are they rubbing or pawing at their ears? And for skin, you're checking for hair loss, redness or heat, color changes, rashes or scabs. On the abdomen, look for a rash, bloating, if they're gassy, swelling, if their belly's hard, or if they have fleas or hair loss. And then in the genital area, you look for redness, swelling, discharge, or whether your animal's in heat. The anal glands, are they smelly, swelling? Is your dog scooting a lot on its butt or excessively licking its behind? And with the tail, is it drooping? Does it have a lack of movement? Is there swelling? Are there any bites? Are they chewing their tail? Is there hair loss or any fleas? Check their limbs. Are they limping? Or perhaps they're not weight-bearing on all their limbs. Maybe they're swelling or sores. Check the pads. Check the limbs. The paws. The nails. Are there abrasions? Are they itchy? Is there redness? Are the pads cracked? Or are they excessively licking their paws? So this is the head-to-toe check of your pet. And it's good practice for you to record. Go and do this head-to-toe check and record everything about your animal. And in so doing, then you're going to have a complete record of what's normal and healthy. What's normal and healthy for your pet? So that you'll be able then to recognize when and if that normal state changes to an abnormal state. It's really good preventative care to do the head-to-toe checkup for your pet from time to time, just to keep current with your pet's health. And in doing so, you may be able to catch something that seems off in its early stages and save your pet and your family undue suffering. So that's the head-to-toe check for your pet. You know, often people also look to homeopathic remedies for their animals. Sometimes even rescue remedy is a really great way to just calm down a dog that may be a little anxious. And uh, that could be helpful. So we've really covered a lot of, uh, a lot of material today. And aside from the programs that I suggested to you, like the Healing Touch for Animals and the Tellington Touch, and then also the First Aid course through Walks and Wags, and also mentioned A Pet's Life, uh, www.apetslife.ca. There's lots of great information there for your pets and uh, natural um, natural foods for your pets and just lots of great information. They're always putting up new articles. But also realize that, you know, just being close with your pet, putting your own hands on your pet, 
can be very calming and relaxing. I know a friend of mine um, recently uh, mentioned to me that her dog gets very frightened when there's thunder and lightning in the sky and trembles and shakes and is very, very unconsolable. And she remembered me mentioning to her about the ability to put our hands on, like we did in an earlier show, we talked about just generic hands-on care. And even without any training, you're able to put your hands on yourself or another person or your animal. And just by relaxing yourself and putting your hands on, you would be able to bring some relief to your animal. And um, it was very nice. My friend reported that after a time that her beautiful dog calmed down and wasn't so frightened, and they were both uh, able then to relax and go back off to sleep. But as I mentioned earlier, you know your pet better than anybody knows your pet, and you know when something's off or something's not right. And it's no different than it is with humans. Sometimes we have things that go on in our bodies and we say, oh, yes, this too shall pass. You know, it'll go away on its own. It'll go away on its own. Well, some things are like that. They're just little acute aches and pains that do go away on their own. But if you have something in your body or in your pet's body that isn't really changing and going away or at least subsiding after a couple of days, be diligent and Go get yourself or your pet checked out. Get the help that you need so that you can nip it in the butt, as they say. Something that is a small problem initially will grow if it's not taken care of. So I encourage you to be mindful of what it is you can do to help yourself and to help your animals and to listen. Now that we've had this great conversation about animal medicine, I'm sure it will make you more more aware and more in tune with not only the animals that live in your home, but the animals that live in the greater outdoors that are there all the time, helping us and showing us things and guiding us and consoling us and reminding us that we're part of a greater whole. It's been great to have the opportunity to speak about animal medicine today with you, and I thank you for tuning in every week to come back to your senses radio. It is an honor and a privilege for me. I am your ever grateful host, Leah Brenda Smith. And thanks for listening to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. And until we're on the air again next week, I encourage you to relax and enjoy your life and enjoy your pets and enjoy your family. And we should all enjoy the last moon of the warm weather outside if you live in the east and a reprieve from the intense heat that we had in the summer if you live other places. So until next time, relax and enjoy. you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life thank you for tuning in to come back to your senses radio 
Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week. Thank you.